The Vancouver Canucks win the Andre Kuzmenko sweepstakes. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. Canucks insider Thomas Drance is here with me. Of course, Drancer also does fantastic work covering the team at The Athletic. So much excitement here uh, in studio. We're trying to get Drancer uh, set up with his headset working right now. We'll uh, we'll get Drancer on the mic momentarily here. In the meantime, Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. So yes, official, well, not official official, but about half an hour ago at 10.30 today, Andre Kuzmenko posts a picture of himself on Instagram uh, pen in hand in Canucks gear, poised to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. And his agent, Dan Milstein, has confirmed that that is indeed Kuzmeko's intent, although there are some uh, other details still to get worked out. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber in Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Get your reactions, your thoughts in to the news that the uh, Vancouver Canucks have won the Andre Kuzmenko sweepstakes. Again, the most, by far, the most highly sought after European free agent on the market this summer, and he will be a member of the Vancouver Canucks for the upcoming season. There is a ton, a ton to get into with this uh, with this situation, with this news that broke again just about half an hour ago when Andres Kuzmenko himself posted a picture on his Instagram. Uh, and to uh, help get into it with me, we do now have on the microphone the one and only <laughs> Thomas Drance. So, as I said, so much excitement. So much excitement right now, Drancer. Kuzmenko is going to begin his Canucks career, and he's also begun his career as an NHL insider. I was going to say, he scooped everyone. Yeah, he scooped everyone. Well, look, I... I my sense of this has been that the club, the Canucks themselves, have been pretty confident for, for a while. Uh, you know, we called them prohibitive favorites, what, eight weeks ago? Yeah. I mean, it feels like that. Maybe it was six weeks ago. But at The Athletic, we, you know, we had a sense of, of confidence from the team. That sense of confidence grew throughout the weekend. You know, there's a lot to unpack here, right? So let's start with what Kuzmenko is. Right? Let's start there. Sure. All right. Okay. I talked to a bunch of teams who were in the running. And I also talked to some teams that weren't interested. Now, the vast majority of NHL clubs at least made contact with Gold Star Hockey, who represents Milstein, and expressed some interest in Kuzmenko. I'm talking about two-thirds of the league. 20-plus teams were at some point in on this. So, more than anything, to win this derby... Right is a huge coup for new Canucks management, particularly when Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford came into Vancouver and have said consistently since the start that a plank, a major plank of their strategy to reload this organization involves mining talent from unconventional areas, right? European free agents and NCAA free agents in particular. And the NCAA signing season didn't go well for them. Nope. I mean, I'm sorry, like it just didn't. There's no other way to put it. They they were bridesmaids in, in a couple of signings, but they didn't land, you know, the big fish. But Kuzmenko's the biggest fish in either pool this summer. And Patrick Alvin has a relationship dating way back. Kuzmenko is a right-handed, 
left winger, right? So that's not too different from Vasily Podkolzin, who's a natural right winger, shoots left. In fact, that's a pretty classic Russian archetype, right? The, the Russian style of attack is often to come down on your off wing um, and, and be sort of a natural in that spot. Alex Ovechkin bumped over under Adam Oates, but that's sort of the exception. Uh, in fact, a major reason why McGilney and Bure struggled to play together when they were in Vancouver at first, <laughs> right, was that they were both lefties, most comfortable attacking down the right side. He's an enormously skilled playmaker, right? That's the main thing. Threading passes all over the ice, particularly on the power play, that's his bread and butter. That's what he's going to be able to do now. I had some concerns expressed to me by some of the teams that were out, that were not, that were among the one third of the league that didn't express any interest in um, Kuzmenko, who suggested to me that part of it was the level of engagement as a two way player is going to need to be more consistent. He's going to need to up that motor. And that there was a sense that he was perhaps a little too perimeter oriented, although I'm always really skeptical. When I hear that about a player who plays on the European ice right. surface, because the nature of the game requires, especially if your primary skill is a, as a playmaker, requires you to flit about the outside. You have a, a totally different spatial awareness. The way of attacking and scoring goals tends to be more perimeter oriented by its nature. So I don't know that that's a knock that I take too seriously, especially because I've got other industry contacts who have zero uh, concerns about that particular aspect. And I know that perimeter play, being perimeter-oriented, being unable to create in the in the dirty areas of the ice, that's like the biggest red flag from a Rutherfordian right. concept. Like, that's, that's not something that this organization tolerates under new leadership, right? Like, that's, in their evaluation of players, that's pretty crucial in, in terms of what they think of guys. So clearly the club itself does not buy that. His production in the KHL at the age that he did it, his age 26 season, was phenomenal. Rare, right? Two comps from the last 30 years in terms of, um, you know, matching his height profile, matching his production, matching his age in that league. And both guys played NHL games, like a lot of NHL games. One of them is Radulov, but Radulov's obviously a different caliber of player. The Canucks aren't getting the second coming of Radulov. Stop it. Stefan DaCosta is the other. DaCosta had a much shorter, much more truncated NHL career. In fact, DaCosta was at one point in his career the highly sought-after right. UFA available to everyone, chose Ottawa, ended up not having an extended NHL career. Although one thing to note is that if that happened today, you know, a, a undersized, highly skilled, fast forward might have got a little bit longer run than DaCosta did a decade ago. Anyway. Only two comps, so rare profile. There is a chance that Kuzmenko is a star player, and there is a chance that he is Nikita Gusev or Vadim Chipchaev, right? And that we don't hear a ton from him over the course of his NHL career. And however this turns out does not matter one iota, right? Kuzmenko has the skill to help this team in the top nine. The club believes that he can help the team in the top nine. He's going to get power play time. He's going to start the season on the NHL roster. There's no question about that at this point. What he does with that will be up to him. That does not matter at all. It does not matter whether or not the Canucks are landing, you know, a, a, a star player or a guy who washes out. Because if you're going to land the difference-making forward, 
you need to strike out a bunch too, right? No team just goes out and gets Nachushkin, right? They also get Yakupov. They also get eight other guys that flame out that don't work, right? You don't just go out and get Connor, uh, uh, sorry, Verhage, Carter Verhage. Right. You also get Yanni Hopala and you know uh, Patrick Bykov and eight other guys who don't end up being impactful NHL players, right? You need to have a willingness to take low-risk, high-upside swings on players, and you need to have a churn of those coming. And every now and then when you land the difference-making guy on the entry-level deal, it's well worth the commitment, the investment in time, in, you know, um, it promises, in, in scouting ingenuity, all of that. The, the ROI is through the roof. And that's what Kuzmenko... Kuzmenko, for me, is the start of a process that this organization needs to recreate 20 times over, over the next five years, in the hopes of landing one or two guys that matter. Maybe Kuzmenko's that guy, maybe he's not, but if this is the start of the club consistently making and landing these types of high upside, low risk bets, that's going to put them in far a far stronger position in the years to come than they have been previously. And that willingness to bet on high upside players, even though there could be a lot of risk associated with that as well, that's important for every team in the NHL. But there's a reason why we've heard Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford emphasize the need for the Canucks to do that, right? And, and emphasize the need to do it with so much urgency. It's because a lot of high upside guys coming in the prospect pipeline. That That is an area of a major, major weakness for this organization. So if you get the opportunity to add somebody, and and look, this is, um, this is obviously a very, very different class of European free agent signing than the, the two we've seen them make previously this summer, right? Those are guys who didn't get contracts from the teams that drafted them for a variety of reasons. This is a guy that, as you said, two-thirds of the league plus was interested in, was, yeah. was trying to get at, right? So... That the ability to add a player with who attracted that much interest, it's huge. It would be huge for any team, but again, specific, specifically for the Canucks who don't have those types of upside players in their system to the degree they need them. It's a really major win. I wanted to win a couple of t- uh, read a couple of texts here because there's so much to get into with this uh, with the Kuzmenko signing, and we we can get into you know what does it mean for the rest of the roster? What can this potentially tell us about the team's short term plans, the team long term plans? You know what what are the kind of projections for Kuzmenko as a player? Where does he fit? All of that. But there's two texts I wanted to read here. Uh, well, three. Let's say this one. First of all, Marcus and Gibson says, big win for the Canucks because this market has appeal to big free agents. He also says, Kuzmeko can become a firefighter and we'd still have won the deal. It was free. And then I wanted to read this one from Brandon in Vancouver as well, who says, this is the first step of progress for me that gives me real solid faith in this new management. I'm on board. Let's go. And I think that sentiment is really interesting. Because I think it's true that this should be seen as a major win and should be something that gives fans faith in new management. As you pointed out, regardless of what happens with Andre Kuzmenko, as Marcus and Gibson says, if he's a one and done, if he plays his ELC year here and then goes back to Russia, we never hear of him. The fact that the Canucks were able to get him in the fold, they were able to win the sweepstakes, they were able to make the push that convinced him to sign here. And the fact that they were prioritizing doing so because of the factors that you mentioned, both of those things taken together mean no matter what happens from here on else here on out with Andre Kuzmenko this is a huge win for the Vancouver Canucks so without question 
And the organization deserves a ton of credit. Um, you know, Alvin and Rutherford, or sorry, Alvin and Boudreaux drove hours on end to meet with Kuzmenko, I believe, in Ann Arbor. So on the East Coast, um, the club wined and dined him at length this weekend, sealed the deal. And here's another thing. Kuzmenko, from what I'm gathering from some of the teams that ended up being also Rans, one of the things that he was really conscious of that was a priority for him, in addition to all the hockey stuff, was wanting to be part of the show, wanting to be in a market with this type of intensity. And that's not unusual. I mean, I think about Artemi Panarin, who was like always going to the Rangers. Like he was all he always wanted to play on Broadway, right? Like that was that was a big priority for him. Um, you know, some guys want to be in that environment. They want to be in that type of pressure cooker. Not all guys do. We hear all the time about players that buckle under it or resent it. Uh, but it, it seems to be just from the outside a kind of very interesting dichotomy. That you can almost go in one of two ways on that spectrum, right? Where you really embrace it or you're like, yeah, you know what? That's not for me. Yeah, well, some guys just tolerate it. And yeah. that's fine, too. That's fine, too. But Kuzmenko seems like a guy who wanted this. Wanted this. That's that's what I gather. And I think that's good. Like, I think this team needs to make sure that they're bringing in the types of personalities that will maximize or be at their best as a result of what this market is. I mean, you think about the last great Canucks team. Like, think about the way Kevin Bieksa is wired, and we see him on TV, we'll see him on TV tonight, right? <laughs> I mean, that guy's that guy might as well have been born in a lab to play in Vancouver. You know, like, everything about it. So, the overall sense that I get is Kuzmenko wanted to be, well, he clearly wanted to be here, but I think the show was part of it. I think the opportunity was part of it. I think the club was very disciplined about pitching opportunity, not just this year, but beyond. I think there's a sense that this could be a long-term relationship if Kuzmenko hits. And of course, it's a zero-risk deal. Now, Kuzmenko can't officially sign the deal. They can agree to terms, but he can't officially sign until the 13th. So, it'll be a while before this is executed as it were however 925k that's the cap hit that's gonna that's the max cap hit it's possible it could come in under but i'd expect 925k considering the level of interest in signing him i'd expect 850k in schedule b bonuses or schedule a bonuses and the question will be are there any schedule b's i'd be surprised if there were there could be. I don't think that's a big priority for Kuzmenko or his camp, though. But that's where the real money could be in the event that the Canucks went down that route, which would probably be worth it, to be totally honest. Although, again, this sort of spotlights the club's need to move on from Furland, in my view. Right? Like, you, you need to be able to stop uh, eating overage penalties when guys hit their bonuses. It's really, really crucial. Particularly if you're going to have Kuzmenko, Hoaglander, and Pod Colson all in your top nine next year which is a very realistic possibility. If one of those guys hits, you don't want to lose a million dollars in cap space for the next season. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The club worked through this process. They won it. If people are feeling very boisterous, very confident in this management group's ability, uh, you know they've delivered on a promise. Yeah. And, and it wasn't an easy promise to deliver on. They, they had to navigate a lot of different opponents. There was an awful lot of pitching going on in addition to driving four and a half hours. Um, you know, <laughs> Patrick Alvin also was in Vancouver this weekend to meet with uh, Kuzmenko and, and of course, ownership and uh, his two agents, Vlad uh, and, and Dan Milstein. And 
obviously they showed up. Like they obviously showed up beyond, in Kuzmenko's eyes, the other suitors. And that's a huge, huge development for this club. Now it's about repeating, like finding the next Kuzmenko, right? Keep keep this churn coming of guys because not every guy you sign is going to be, you know, the the Verhage or the Nachushkin or the or the big value guy who who hits or the Yan Gord, right? Those those guys who are free and end up adding a ton of value to your organization. Kuzmenko may be that he may not be. The key is is to keep that assembly line churning so that this club has real depth in the years to come. Uh, this one unsigned says, so you mean we didn't have to give up two second round picks and a no trade clause? I'm confused. I thought that was standard procedure. Uh, another one says Kuzmenko for one six of a Louis Erickson uh, is a steal. Um, and the other thing about just why fans are, I think, really enjoying this, you know, I read the text saying, hey, this is kind of the move that really get, gets me behind new management to a certain degree. You know, with all respect to Travis Dermott and Archie Baines, this is by far the biggest, the most significant move, player personnel move, that this management group has made, right? Like, this is the, we, we've seen little bits and pieces of it and things that, you know, if you kind of squint, you can extrapolate and say, okay, this tells me about what they're going to do more of in the future. But this is, as you said, cashing in on a promise that they had made repeatedly and not just doing it in kind of a small bore way, right? Okay, hey, it's great to collect the other types of European free agents that they were. It's great to collect, you know, the CHL free agents that they were, but to land one of this magnitude, it's just in a different tier. And I understand the idea that, uh, you know, the idea of why this is giving fans a lot of confidence in this management group, because it's the biggest deal. It's the biggest move they've made yet, right? And it's interesting to say that because we've been... (laughs) You know, waiting for Jim Rutherford to really unload the Jim Rutherford fireworks for a while here. This is the biggest move that is they've it? made in six months. I think it is. No. You don't, you think it's Travis Dermott? I think it's Travis Hamannick. I think Travis Hamannick by a lot. They shed three I mean, that million. Was a good one. They shed Fine, three million in cash. Big, biggest addition to the roster. Uh, for sure. Yeah. It's the most exciting. It's the yeah. sexiest move. But the biggest in terms of impact to me is the Hamannick deal. And also, that was the most improbable one. That was yes, the, it was. That That's was true. That was the deal. Like, you know, even the organization was a little gobsmacked that they managed to to get off of that deal. I think the I think if you're if you're talking about so if you're talking about like Rutherford the deal maker, right? Rather the idea part of the appeal of of bringing in a guy like Jim Rutherford is Rutherford can make the deal that the other GM can't, right? He's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, as I, as I put it the other day, right? This is a guy who offers cheated Sergey Fedorov, right? Like this is this is a, a different type of executive. If you believe that Rutherford can make the deal that other guys can't, you know, pitching Kuzmenko is great, but finding an out on Travis Hamannick is better. So, so for me, that's still the biggest. We, we will, you know what? This is a good for a slow news day. We'll rank Rutherford's news uh, moves so far. Maybe later. This the Hamannick one, I just still remember seeing it breaking and, and just being like, "Oh, I wonder what they're giving up." And then it was like third round pick. I was like, "Oh, they gave up a third. Okay, not bad." I was like, "Oh no, no, they got it." <laughs> I just remember I just they re- got the third round pick. I just remember taking a half hour to pick my jaw up off the floor. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so the Kuzmenko thing. We've talked about who he is, right? Who he is, yeah. enormously skilled winger, playmaker, right? A little bit pass-first, right-handed. A right-handed pass-first winger. Hey, that's great. The Canucks have a lot of really good lefty finishers. You have Bo Horvat. You have Elias Pettersson. You have JT Miller. I mean, there's a lot of lefty finishers who you like the idea of them playing with uh, with a righty guy who can thread passes, 
who's really good in space. Like, great. That sounds like a very good fit. Now, power play time was a big part of this pitch. So was long-term cap space, right? Not we have cap space for you next year, but beyond that, we have the cap space to keep you as a core piece if you hit here. That Those two parts of the Canucks pitch, and we've been talking about this for a while, feel loaded in terms of what's next for the Canucks this offseason, yeah. right? With regards to what the club will do with some of the higher price tag wingers, some of whom are perhaps settled in with, with long-term deals, some of whom perhaps are in need of extensions or become eligible to sign extensions beginning July 13th. And, you know, the righty pass-first guy, I mean, to me, that's that's... You know, that's the left circle. Well, the here's, and, and you hear, oh, he was prom- power play time was part of the pitch, and, and he has the characteristics you're describing. He's a playmaker from, you know, right-handed. Where where do you envision him lining up on the power play? In it's number nine in spot. In JT Miller's spot. So, you know, not, not to say that anything is telegraphed by this necessarily, but it's certainly something that makes you go, hmm, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, it's all it's all of those things. It's the opportunity to play in the top six. It's the power play time potential. And then I think the really interesting one that has got less attention is what you said about the future cap space. Because there's a world where a lot of that future cap space gets eaten up very, very quickly this offseason. If, right. if the Canucks retain all of their big either, you know, pending free agents in RFA and Brock Besser's case or the UFAs to be in Bo Horvat. And JT Miller, that eats up a huge chunk of that cap space that they were using to sell Andre Kuzmenko on. Hey, this this isn't just going to be a one-year thing, potentially. We have the means to keep you around. And, you know, as soon as the, the news was announced and as soon as we came on and started talking about it, we started getting reactions like this. This one unsigned says, so the Kuzmenko signing means one or two of Miller, Besser, and Garland are gone this offseason. We have another one saying, uh, this one's from Chad, saying, here we go, Trader Jim has just awoken. It's going to be a wild couple of weeks. This is just a start. Trader Jim has just awoken. <laughs> yeah, he's a mythical <laughs> like, beast. Uh, or like, or like uh, some, uh, you know, like uh, Patrick Alvin has like pulled out his dagger flute and gone like, <laughs> I love that. And I, I, we talked about this a little bit last week, where, I find this one a very difficult topic to navigate or to kind of just think through even on my own time because I understand the impetus to look at this and say, well, that means people are out the door, right? You you promised this guy opportunity. You already have. I mean, the Canucks are pretty deep in the top nine at four. Like, you just go through the list and you can, you can you know, come up with nine, ten guys who will be vying for spots there pretty easily. So I understand the immediate reaction being, okay, another shoe has to drop here. More dominoes have to fall. I'm also just, it, it seems almost too simple, right? Like too too easy of a line to draw. Oh, oh, they signed Kuzmenko, therefore big player X is going to go. But I guess the, what it does tell, to, tell me is we're going to see something interesting happen. That's at least the feeling I get. I don't know if it's based in reality, but that's what I think. Just seeing this news and just kind of my visceral reaction is this sets up other interesting things to happen. Absolutely it does. I think there's no question about that. And look. I know this management group likes this blue line more than I do. But look at these cup finalists. Look at their defense course. You know, the Canucks have so much cap space and so much value 
tied up. Like value can exist in different places within an organization, right? The the Arizona Coyotes don't have a ton of value on their roster, but they have a ton of draft picks, right? Like that that's value in in a sense, right? They have a ton of cap space. Cap space itself is value, right? The Canucks have a ton of value tied up in their wings in particular. You think about Besser. You think about Garland. You think about JT Miller, who for me is, is a winger first. You think about even Tanner Pearson. Yeah. Vasily Podkolzin. Niels Hoaglander. So you go up and down the list. It's like the club has so much value tied up on the wings and very little value in terms of forward depth and very little value in terms of defenders. And, you know, at some point, you'd think you got to use your surplus to help this organization solve some of their issues, whether those issues are, in fact, on the roster, right, the the defense core in particular, or whether it's carving out cap flexibility long-term or adding to a prospect system. Like, that's the other thing about the Kuzmenko signing. This organization had no other realistic route to having an entry-level player or first-time entry-level yeah. player contribute. There was no forward who was going to push to make, to make the top nine over top no, six. But, uh, no, uh, or defender on an entry-level deal. So you say Jack Sure, Rathbone, because Jack, Jack Rathbone, Rathbone is going to be off his ELC. So yeah, that's fair. This is, this was your only real route to getting a guy on an entry-level deal who could break into your roster next season, a certain, you know, up front or, or on the back end. And that's an issue, right? Like, there's no, there's no guys pressing. There's no guys coming. This, there's not enough value in this prospects system. If the club is going to have the type of depth you need to compete you need to find some unconventional routes to mine those players. They've done so they, by beating out 20 other suitors for Kuzmenko. That's a huge win. But the magnitude of the win for this organization is amplified by some of their issues elsewhere, by the fact that more than any other team, this is the team that needed the infusion of talent that Kuzmenko brings, the infusion of potential upside that Kuzmenko brings. So... That's a big win, but also a you know a sign, a harbinger of the work ahead to put this organization on healthier grounds over the long haul. It reminds me a lot of, and this is something we discussed, and you made the point when they made that Hamannick to Ottawa, and then picking using that asset and turning around and getting Travis Dermott from the Leafs. The you know ship out the more expensive, less less capable, older player, and then find a, a replacement who's cheaper, younger, and a little bit better, right? And that happened, or at least could be a little could bit be better. better. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I like Dermott more than Hamannick right now. Me too. But yes, sure. I, I take your point, right? That at least has the potential to be better. In the future. That one happened simultaneously, basically, right? Two separate deals, but right at the same time it went down. This one, I wonder if we've seen the kind of the second half of it first, right? Where they've got that replacement in-house, and now it's a question of, well, what's the first half of that equation look like? It's Richardson-Mott, right? Where where they claimed Richardson and then two and a half hours later traded Mott, right? That's that's for me, I think that's a very realistic possibility. I do see see Kuzmenko and the Kuzmenko signing as a proactive replacement for, you know, uh, the most straightforward route that this club has to carve out cap space, which is trading a, a big money forward. I, I, I mean, I do see this as a proactive thing that sets them up to manage a top six departure with ease this offseason. Um, you know, the moment Rutherford came in, I expected fireworks. I don't think we got fireworks more like a sparkler show <laughs> ahead of the trade deadline <laughs> yeah 
but I still think fireworks are coming, and and I do think this is you know more setup, more setup in in English Bay ahead of the Festival of Fire. There is fan. There are lots of fantastic texts coming in. People are fired up. Keep your thoughts coming in six fifty six fifty to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Don't forget also to subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave us a five-star rating and review. More Kuzmenko talk coming up. We might dip into the Stanley Cup final a little bit on the other side as well. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you for another segment. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win. For years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer is uh, working the phones here, getting some reaction and uh, trying to dig up some details on the Andre Kuzmenko news, which of course is the big news of the day for the Vancouver Canucks. Drancer will be back on in just a second here. In the meantime, get your thoughts into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber in Bridge Street on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, one of the elements that Canucks fans are having a lot of fun with when it comes to Andre Kuzmenko, and if you're just joining us, the news is that the highly sought-after European free agent out of the KHL has decided to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. It can't be official, official until July 13th, but his agent has confirmed that the intent is to sign with the Vancouver Canucks, and as I said, one of the things that uh, Canucks fans are having plenty of fun with right now is that this happened at least partly at the expense of the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, Rager texted in, first we take the World Cup, now we get Kuzmenko, what's next? We take Edmonton's lunch money? <laughs> Another one from uh, Marcus and Gibson says, not even Connor McDavid's house and his world-class ability could get Kuzmenko to sign in Edmonton, and look, I mean, hey. Edmonton has Connor McDavid. They have Leon Dreisaitl. They were just in the conference finals. You know, they're doing all right. They've got some struggles there, no doubt about it. But they're doing they're doing all right without Andre Kuzmenko. But I do think it gets to something real about the reaction to this, which is just the, the sensation of the Canucks having a big win. Like, having a big win in competition with other teams for a highly sought-after player. You know, it's not the... I don't want to say it's been years since that's happened or anything like that, but it does feel a bit like turning the page on the dysfunction and the doom and gloom that has surrounded the team, you know, for the last several seasons, right? That this was a player who had his pick, not literally his pick of any team, but, you know, probably 20 plus teams where he potentially could have chosen to go and sign with, and he chose the Vancouver Canucks. And again, you know, it, it, it's it's a lot of fun to get those jokes off at Edmonton's expense, but I do think there's something real there where, hey, this w- this could potentially be a free agent destination. It's a place with the infrastructure in place, potentially, to attract highly sought-after free agents of the European variety in this case, but potentially of the NHL variety down the road. And I do think that's a really important element uh, of the signing. Now, just before we uh, we went to break in the last segment, Drancer and I were talking about what does this mean for the potential of the Canucks roster going forward? And, and specifically, does this mean there are 
big moves coming. And Chad texted in again because he was one of the people who texted in, hey, I feel like this means Jim Rutherford has woken up and we're going to see some fireworks now. And Chad says, I don't think, you know, big player X has to go now. I just think something is coming. And that kind of mirrors my thinking. I think that's a really good way of putting it, Chad. You know, we have people texting in, okay, does this mean Besser is gone? Does this mean Hoaglander is gone? Does this guarantee that JT Miller is gone? And I don't think you can look at any one individual and player and say, oh, okay, now that Andre Kuzmenko is here, that player doesn't have a fit on the roster, right? Like, yeah, okay, we've heard the idea that maybe this management group isn't as high on Niels Hoaglander, but, you know, he's still a player on an entry-level deal who's shown significant upside in the NHL. That, that's the kind of guy they need to collect more of. That's who they were trying to go out and get with Andre Kuzmenko. So I don't think just because Andre Kuzmenko is in the fold, all of a sudden that means they're definitely going to turn uh, turn around and trade Niels Hoaglander. And as Chad says, I don't think there's a single player you can look at and say, oh, okay, their time in Vancouver is done now, right? Because Kuzmenko is here, they don't have a future with the Canucks anymore. But it does just add a little bit more weight to the idea that we're going to see some fireworks. We're going to see some big changes. And and I don't think the Canucks would sit down and you know say to Andre Kuzmenko, hey, we're going to trade this player to make room for you on the power play. I, I doubt that was part of the discussion. But the fact that they are willing to say, hey, we're going to have power play time for you. We're going to have opportunities in the top six. We're going to put you in a position to succeed. And remember, he's only on a one-year ELC, right? So he's going to be eligible for a big contract, potentially, depending on how well he does, but he's going to be eligible for another NHL contract after this season. And part of the Canucks pitch was, we're going to put you in a position to really do well on that next deal that you're going to be eligible for after this season. It's hard to escape the implication that there might be some guys moving out in order to create those opportunities that they used to entice Andre Kuzmenko to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. And the way I put it, we welcome uh, Thomas Drantz back onto the program now. This text came in from Chad Drantzer, and he said, I don't think it means that big player X has to go. I just think something is coming. And that mirrors my thinking. That's right. There's not a single player you can look at and say, oh, okay, well, their time is done with the Vancouver Canucks now. But it's just another little extra piece of evidence towards big things could be coming. Well, I think more than anything, too, it gives the club flexibility. Like, when you have additional options, right, then the cost, the the presumptive cost of the subtraction from your lineup, which may end up being necessary in terms of the club's overall need to have a more balanced lineup, to be deeper, to carve out the sorts of avenues to improve that we've been obsessed with over the past eight months in terms of cap flexibility, in terms of, you know, uh, upgrading the futures, available to this club in in the years to come, right? We see it every year in the playoffs, and we've seen it all playoffs long, where, you know, you need your stars to be at their best, no question. But you also need, you know, Ryan McLeod to step up, right? You also need Zach Hyman to go on a goal-scoring binge. You need the kid line to come out of nowhere and carry you through a series, right? You need Patrick Maroon and Corey Perry <laughs> to give you some goals. You need JT Comfer to have some clutch moments. Like you need that level of performance too. And how often did that happen for this Canucks team? They had a two-month run with that Lamico Mott Highmore line, you know, su- playing a really crucial supporting role. But aside from that, every night it was Demko stands on his head, 
or else JT Miller or Elias Pettersson goes out and wins the game as an individual. And or or the power play goes off later, you know, Bo Horvat's going right. like but it was the high-end players. The high-end players. And and often it was great individual moments that carried this team. Like that's what the organization's talking about when they talk about a lack of structure. It's not just tactics and Xs and Os, it's also, you know, a system for winning games beyond the extraordinary contributions of your best, which you can't count on 70 times a season the way you need to if you're going to end up being Colorado. Well, no, you also, when you get to the playoffs, all of a sudden teams are much more capable of keying in on those high-end players and taking them away. And and you need to have They're also playing top-end players. Yeah, you need to have options B, C, and D that can do some damage as well. And it's every year we see that be the difference between the team that wins the Cup and the team that doesn't, right? I mean, so far in the Stanley Cup final, who's the player that's made the biggest impact? Well, it's, it's Nachushkin. Right, I mean, it's it's often not McKinnon or Kucherov. It's not the best of the best on either team. It's it's often you know one of the depth guys. It's it's often the contributions lower down the lineup that make a huge difference. I mean, you think about Taves Makar, obviously a key part of what the Colorado Avalanche have done throughout the playoffs. But in this series, why are the Avs destroying, like picking their teeth with Tampa Bay through two games? Partly, it's that Bowen Byram stepped up, and all of a sudden the Avs are crushing Tampa in those minutes, right? It's those additional that additional push from a little bit lower down the lineup. That's what this club needs. Kuzmenko can help give, give the team that, but also, in the context of where this team is going, they can subtract from the top end to bolster that side and potentially end up being more flexible, right? And more balanced in a way that actually improves them improves them despite losing a phenomenal piece if they if they end up going that yeah if that's the road they choose to go down i wanted to read a couple of texts uh here quickly you know look if you have other thoughts on andrick smeko keep them coming 650 650 but these two texts stood out to me first is from superintendent steve he says hey guys instead of everyone talking about who's going to be traded uh could we discuss how legit the canucks would be if they find a way to keep miller and besser and garland for next season they could have uh, a real scoring threat in their top nine. And then another one who says, now that the Canucks have found this cheap option and they have goaltending secured, why can't they keep both Brock and Miller? And I understand that reaction, right? That because, you know, ultimately fans want to see the team get better. And, and hey, okay, great. We got a good player. I understand the hesitancy to say immediately, okay, let's turn around and trade Another good player, but we talked about this a little bit when we were kind of mapping out the Canucks salary cap situation into the medium and long term. It's not that you can't decide to basically keep this roster intact in the short term, right? Yeah, you you have, in fact, the easiest route for this club, the one that requires the least overall gymnastics, let's put it that way, Yeah, is is to just run it back and see what the team can do. With Boudreaux at the helm for a whole full season. I mean, that is, you have the cap space to still add, with Kuzmenko in the fold, you know, something like five and a half to six and a half million, depending on where Besser's QO, you know, whether Besser accepts his QO or whether they're able to negotiate a settlement at, at a slightly lower level. Uh, depending on that, you could keep this group together and still have five-ish million in cap space to go out and grab a bottom six Tyler Mott replacement. And, you know, perhaps a low-end upgrade for your defense core. I mean, you could do that. That is very much a possible route forward for this club. But 
for me, you know, I think it would be a tremendous error. Uh, honestly, I just think it would be a tremendous error for this organization to miss the opportunity ahead of them in terms of being more proactive about managing departures. Because, yeah, you could do that for one year. But then the next season, Hoaglander gets more expensive, Horvat gets more expensive, Miller gets more expensive. Plus, you may have to negotiate with Besser again, depending on how that situation plays out this summer. And the following year, you've got Pedersen and, and Pod Colson up. And, and throw into that, you'll have Kuzmenko to deal with after this season too. If this club was poised to be more than a fringe playoff team, like well more, if you were really confident that you were the second or first best team in the Pacific, I think staying with this roster would make sense. If you're not answering yes to that without hesitation, and I don't think you can possibly answer yes to that without hesitation, I think you have to be very, very careful yeah. about how you proceed because you go into next season and you may miss the opportunity to maximize the possible returns on some players who expire following next season. Pressure could mount. You could end up being in a position where you're like, how can you tell that to the room when they're three points out of the playoffs? But then you miss the playoffs and, and a guy like Miller walks for nothing? Like, you can't have that. This club's not well-built enough. They're not competitive enough for that. You have to be very, in my view, ruthless about evaluating this group. And it's time for this organization to stop pretending that you can build an avalanche or lightning quality team with one good offseason. Like, it's not, this team's not a Mott replacement, Kuzmenko, and a, and a, and a Brett Kulak, Olimata type, away from being one of the teams that you're going to watch play tonight in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. Like, stop it! We all know this. And what's, what's amazing about it is that this market's actually patient. Like, Canucks fans are willing to wait it out for a great team. For a great team. They are willing to wait it out. It's the organization that's been habitually... Like, the idea... The, the question should never be, can Vancouver tolerate a rebuild? The question should be, can the organization? Does the organization have the fortitude and discipline to do what needs to be done to build a great team in 2025? Because there's not a route to being a great team next year. There isn't. I'm sorry. There just isn't, in my view. You could, you could be a team that gets great results in the regular season, but your absolute ceiling is going to be St. Louis or the Rangers. And look, we'd all take that. We'd all take two rounds. You win two rounds. Be fun. You win a round. <laughs> sure. It'd be super fun. Sure. But that's the absolute ceiling. And the probability is you end up at 94 points and miss the playoffs. Like that's the, that's the overwhelming probability. If the club made some tweaks, they'd go into the season with sub 40% playoff odds and, you know, plus something like, you know, plus something like 10,000 to win the cup. Well, that's not what you want. It's not what you want. You want to be like plus 750. Like, like get us, get us up to the top eight. You know, that's, that's where you want to be. Cause those are the teams that are actually going to win that are actually going to do damage. I think the idea that this club can just make some tweaks and be at an elite level next season. I think that's an absolute hope bet. The type that I hope this organization has matured beyond following the extreme folly and repeated failure of the last decade. Yeah, and again, so just to the, the texter's question, yeah, you can. It's not a mathematical impossibility to keep everyone together. It really just depends on 
how do you evaluate where the team is right now and their likelihood of competing next season? Well, that, that's the yeah. question. And your likelihood of keeping this core together, yeah. having them all get more expensive together, and then winning over the long haul. And for me, I, I judge that route to be highly, like, that, uh, that route does not lead to a Stanley Cup final. It might lead to some fun hockey, don't get me wrong, but the real fun, the the buying in on the ground floor, the the, the great hockey here, the the games in Vancouver that mean a ton with the int- attention of the entire hockey world on it, I think that requires the club doing something a little more creative and something with a, with their eyes trained on a, on a slightly further afield um, goal. I, I want to do a couple minutes on the Stanley Cup final here, but just last thought on uh, Andre Kuzmenko, courtesy of a couple of our texters. John in North Van texted in, uh, hopefully Kuzmenko is good enough to reignite the, is he too old to win the Calder debate <laughs> next well, year? he's too old. <laughs> he actually is there too you old. Go. You, have to be, you have to be under 25. <laughs> because I was going to say, and then Frank and Victoria texted in, uh, a Michael Bunting Calder trophy, trophy equals yuck. A Kuzmenko Calder trophy equals legit. But sadly, he will not be eligible well, I, I mean, <laughs> for the Calder trophy. You're not, he's not eligible for the Calder Trophy. You're not supposed to factor age into it, but I remember looking through it, and there was like 727 players, something like that, who played over 10 games in the NHL last season, and and Bunting was like in the middle. Like, he was like older than 400 of them, <laughs> and he's eligible for the Calder. I'm just like, oh. Not sure about that one. I can't factor that into my vote, but oh. Well, th- we don't have to do a, a Calder Trophy debate, but the thing was to me... I don't think they've announced the Calder, so I don't think I'm allowed yeah, to Yeah, I'll just Calder say it was anyway. never really a difficult thing for me because, like, it was clearly Mo Sider. So, you know what I mean? So yeah, I was like, right. you don't even have to get into the analysis of his age because I it's think, Mo Sider. I think there was a good argument to be made for Zegras, personally. Okay, but. sure. But it was, like, it's not as if he would have been, if you took age out of the question, he would have been the runaway favorite. Right, there were no, strong no. candidates who didn't. So I was like, "Well, we don't even have to figure this out." Because he was top five in the NHL in even strength scoring, though. I mean, he was incredible. sure. It was still Mo Sider for it was, me. <laughs> it was still Mo Sider, but yeah. but I thought, and well, and I think the argument for Zegras was also better than the argument for Bunting personally. But not, um, to, not to reveal my ballot quickly. <laughs> game three tonight. Look, you know, one, one of the all-time great sports radio cliches or sports uh, world cliches is, you know, a playoff series doesn't start until the home team <laughs> loses a game. Uh, might make an exception when it's a 7 nothing beatdown in game two, yeah, like we when, saw. When it's, a, when it's an 11-3 or 11-3 yeah. goals, um, goals on aggregate in the series. Look, there's a real chance that Tampa Bay never gets going in this series now. But... There's also a real chance that they do Tampa Bay Lightning things and adapt really well to their opponent and find a way to play a 2-1 game that, you know, whether they win or lose narrowly, is is interesting tonight. That's what it's going to take, though. They need to they need to stop getting bludgeoned when McKinnon's out, and they need to find a way to make hay on those those non-McCarr Taves minutes, which so far have, have been the Bowen Byram show. And I don't know how you get there. I don't know how you get there, but... John Cooper, uh, if anyone can figure it out, it's Cooper. It would be a shame if the kind of epic, entertaining Stanley Cup final that we all wanted doesn't develop in this series. But, I mean, that's what we're staring at right now, depending on how Game 3 does. And I'll just say, it felt like... If that happens, though, you just got to tip your cap to the Colorado. 100%. Because this is, uh, this, is a, this is like a display of power that's, that's pretty incredible. That game, too, felt like the kind... It was like a capstone performance, like the purest expression of what they can do to even really other other great teams, right? It was like the zenith of their style of hockey, and you're everyone's going to focus on the seven goals. Like, wow, they scored seven goals in the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
But I think the zero in that in that equation deserves a lot of notice as well. And not just the fact that it was a shutout, but Tampa couldn't generate anything. And, no. and it was, you know, all of the, oh, well, they're fast, but can they defend in the playoffs? Well, they did a pretty good job of it in game two. They're, they're, the Tampa Bay Lightning's top six forwards had one combined shot attempt. That's outrageous. Like, that's ugly. They made They made the Tampa Bay Lightning look like the Nashville Predators. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, and I and I don't expect a repeat of that. But man, it is hard at this juncture. And I, I picked Tampa going in, so uh, even though I've been higher on the Avs all season, um, it's it's hard for me to see the answer for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And yet, for, there's something about that team. There's something about that team's mojo that you know it ain't over yet. Tonight's gonna be fast. No, you feel you feel silly counting them out. But Colorado has done everything they could possibly do to make you want to count them out. And as we talk about this as kind of, you know, what are the ramifications if Colorado wins from a league-wide perspective, that performance in Game 2, if they wrap this up quickly, four games, five games, I think that performance in Game 2 is going to be what stands out, and it's going to be what makes a lot of people around the NHL even take pause and take note even more than they would have uh, had Colorado won the Cup in other circumstances and try to figure out, okay, we've seen what it can do. Uh, what can we incorporate from what the Avalanche are doing? Thanks to everyone who texted in tons of great feedback today on the Andre Kuzmenko signing. More Kuzmenko discussion coming up on the People Show. Bick Nazar and Randy Piano. That's up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.